Hello, my name is David Coleman, and you're listening to the very first edition of Quarantine the Past, a brand new podcast from No Ripcord. You'll be pleased to know it's got nothing to do with infectious diseases and very little to do with pavement, which is a bit of a shame, really, because those are two subjects I actually know a little bit about. Instead, we're going to be focusing on something that I'm pretty clueless about these days, and that's new music. Why am I clueless? Well, I'm 40. I've got young children, a busy job, and a bit of a back problem. Over the past decade, I've kind of lost touch with new sounds. Um, My mantra these days is, why take the risk, really, when you can just listen to Big Star on a loop? Um, Some of you might be able to relate to this, and if so, this podcast might be something that can help you out. So Quarantine the Past is about setting aside those comfortable old favourites, and with a little help from some internet friends, starting to re-engage with the now. So let's introduce the crew. First up, we've got Juan Rodriguez, who's editor-in-chief of No Record, and just about the most prolific consumer of new music I've ever met. Hello. Hi, how are you? Yeah, great. Great, thanks, Juan. Nice to see you. And next up, uh, we've got Gabby Nirenberg. Did I get that right, Got it. You did, you did. I'm very proud of myself. Um, (laughs) Gabby... You may be distressed to hear that you've been a No Ripcord contributor for 15 years now. Does that and make distressed. you feel good? <laughs> no, it makes me it makes me feel a little old, but I guess that's I'm why sorry. we're here. <laughs> yeah, but you're you've still got somewhere to go before you catch me up. Uh, and finally, last but not least, from Sydney, Australia, we've got Joe Rivers. Hi, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, well, it's nice to have you. You're a veteran of the old, uh, the old No Record podcasts, but the, uh, the the less said about those, the better, I think. I think you might be right there. Good. Right. So a little bit about the premise of the show, uh, and then we'll do a, a little icebreaker segment, and, and then we'll begin. So the basic idea is that each writer is going to pitch uh, a recent release to me so we're recording this uh, at the start of april it'll be something from the first quarter of the year uh, we'll discuss them in a round table format uh, and then i'm going to present one of the few records that i've actually managed to discover on my own uh, to you guys for you to listen to at the very end i'll give a gold star to whoever's made the strongest pick uh, which will invariably be gabby or juan i'm sorry joe but i thought We've got to be transparent up front and, and just be completely open with each other. It's probably not going to be you, ever. <laughs> um, okay, okay. At least I know what I'm working with. Exactly, exactly. And it will make the the sweet the sweet victory even even more pleasurable, perhaps if it ever materializes. Um, so before we go on to the picks, I'm going to ask each each one of you to, in the spirit of the podcast, choose an album from your past that you would like to quarantine forever. And I'll kick off with Juan, because he's not paying attention. So I so I was thinking about this thing. I was really thinking about this. And I was, I was really thinking about the fact that, you know, try to go to a period where you feel some sort of shame in terms of uh, your musical taste. And, and for a lot of us, it may be a little bit hard because we were, part of this 90s boom of seeing so many bands and major going to major labels and it was like the cool thing to do and uh, 
and then you realize that you you, re you discover all these bands and then the late 90s got a little bit weird and th this this was the time when uh trl took over and mtv kind of shifted from music videos to something completely differently and then i realized that my taste just kind of changed i mean i was 14 or 15 so i can't be too hard on myself but uh during the time I mean, it's not like it used to be that now we can just go to any streaming platform and listen to any music. Like back then you had to buy a CD and you, because you like the song, right? And and I think I went through this period where I would just buy all, all these questionable uh, records from uh, a buck cherry came to mind recently. And uh, there was this other band I really liked called Lit back in the day. And, and, uh, and I even I even had uh, the CD of Nickelback's Silver Side uh, Silver Side Up I think was the name of it because I did like the song How You Remind Me and it was like one of those things where would, you know you're 15 so you're not you're only watching what's on the TV so it's like I I wasn't into Built to Spill I wasn't in, into like Don Caballero and all these cool bands from like all these. Uh, indie labels, you know, I learned about all that stuff later when I was like maybe 18 or 19. So yeah, d definitely not my proudest period, but you know, I, I think I could have done worse, all things considered, but I do still have a lot of, I do still have those CDs and I really don't listen to them, but yeah, that, that was quite the time for sure. Excellent. So that's, yeah, this is a good, it's a good experience. We're learning about each other and yeah, Nickelback. Wow. No, I had I had that CD as well, but just uh, just you know, I feel this is a safe space and I can share that. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think it's important, isn't it? I think we've moved beyond that where where we should feel shame or or things about music. If you if you like it, you like it, and if it was important to you at the time, it was important. But anyway, we're not doing that now. We're we're, we're quarantining something. So you you go next, Joe. Okay, so um, I think like one, I was trying to think of something from, I guess, my mid to late teens when, as one said, you kind of just get fed the diet of music that is presented to you, especially in pre-streaming, pre, pre well, not quite pre-internet, but not far off days. And I think the album from around then that I listened to the most that I would now um, not put on if you paid me to would be Origin of Symmetry by Muse which I used to absolutely adore. And really, I think I probably still would say it is their best album, although that is a quite low bar. But it's it's kind of ruined a bit as well by the fact that as time has gone on, they've just become more and more of almost a parody of themselves. And it is just apocalyptic lyrics and with just lots of arpeggios played as quickly as possible. And they've become like a real, almost like a novelty act, really. Um, and very overblown, very pompous. And the thing that I can't believe I didn't notice at the time is the incredibly sharp and noticeable intake of breath that Matt Bellamy does before singing every single line, <laughs> which I had not noticed at the time. And now just any, if every one of their songs comes on the radio, I just, it's, I just have to turn it off. It's so, it's just so noticeable. I realize I'm being, I'm setting myself up here by complaining about vocal tics whilst 
recording a podcast where I'm likely to say um and uh and like a lot. So yeah, I, I accept all the criticism that comes my way as a result of that. But I mean, I, I had a I had a new metal phase, definitely. I, I remember going to school wearing an incubus t-shirt, but I still think Muse would be the one that I would like to quarantine the most. Muse is a good one. I remember walking around half of my first week at university in a Muse t-shirt and wondering why no one was coming out to, to us to be friends with me. <laughs> so there you go. Um, I think that's a really good pick. Gabby, what have you got for us? Well, I feel like I may have to change my answer to Muse at this point because that's an excellent one. Um, but I'll, all right. So I thought about this for a while because there's there's quite a lot of embarrassing stuff I used to listen to. But what's worse is that I thought I was so cool back then because now um, I think Juan mentioned this. Like we're we're a lot less um, judgmental now, and a lot of stuff that we may have hated back then, we can kind of see some merit to it now, even if we're fine never listening to it again. But back then, I was just. I was very gatekeeper-y, probably because I was used to everyone else gatekeeping me. So I thought a lot about this, and um, there were a number of choices, but I decided on Stereophonics. There was an album called Performance and Cocktails and I think, 1999, so I was, I don't know, freshman or sophomore in high school when this came out, a freshman. Um, and there was all kinds of garbage Britpop coming out some of it very good some of it or some of it not garbage some of it definitely garbage but this was like I don't know Walmart placebo man like <laughs> this <laughs> it, but I loved it I just <laughs> I was so into it and I thought oh no one else is listening to it not in the U.S. so I'm just I'm so fucking cool <laughs> and I just like I mean this is what propelled me to listening to garbage like jet a little bit later on so I just yeah I was insufferable it just reminds me of being insufferable <laughs> is that the record with the bartender and the thief one that's the one that's the yeah. one yeah um you, you may you're talking about quarantine in the past of this but I don't know if you realize that um the stereophonics put out a new album I think last month and it went to number one in the UK Oh. I did not realize that. Why on earth did yeah. this happen? Okay, I might have to listen to that. I did say it only quarantined performance and cocktails. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I'll the context, the <laughs> Joe, you haven't been back to the UK for a while, but it's, you know, things have changed. It's a dark place now. <laughs> that's that's entirely plausible. And it right. seems, yeah. Maybe the time was right for their <laughs> research. <laughs> Maybe that's a blame for much of what what's happening these days uh, who knows that is also an excellent pick i have to say i i had that record um as well and also thought i was pretty you know pretty yeah. cool then um and it's one of the one of the ones that stands up really really quite poorly i think um yeah so the we've all everyone's picked sort of 90 i guess muse is slightly later isn't it but i'm going to pick a 90s record and i'm going to pick um second coming by the stone roses um which you know isn't isn't particularly surprising because i think most people recognize that it's a pretty mediocre record um but i think like like you gabby at the time i was i was so so pleased with myself for for having this this band that you know not everyone else was listening to and i i devoured the first album and i really really 
tried so hard to tell myself that the second coming was a great a great follow-up and that all the doubters were wrong and and i think i almost made myself believe it um and actually as i've gotten older um just pretty much everything the band has done is kind of just dropped in my in my opinions and that culminated really with with some of Ian Brown's sort of conspiracy theory ranting about the about the pandemic which you know was just like like a lot of the musicians who sort of went off piste and, and went a little bit um crazy over, over the pandemic we we you know it really made me sort of reevaluate everything further and I, I just I never need to hear that record again. Um, and, 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 you know, Ian Brown's solo material even even more so. But, I mean, I, I think even I knew at the time that that was pretty garbage. If, um, if musicians with their anti-vaccination conspiracy theories are kind of ruining things for you, does that mean that um, you've had to also quarantine your Right Said Fred collection as well? I mean, I, I feel like we shouldn't just punish ourselves, you know, for, for, for everything. You can separate the art from the artist. Yeah, so sometimes the, sometimes the art is just too, you know, it's too important to kind of to, mm. to make a principled yeah. stand. But, you know, second coming, I think I'm, I'm quite happy just ditching that one. But the Freds, you know. As the fans call Beyond them. reproach, really. <laughs> Lovely. So, who knew? Who knew? Right, said Fred would be coming up. That's that's quite a tangent. Anyway, you did. Joe did. He's got it written down in his notes. That's that's planning for you. Right. So we're going to move on to the picks now, and um, we'll see what Reza's head. Maybe that new Stereophonics album is coming up. So, who knows? First, uh, first up, Gabby's going to going to lead. And um, Gabby, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit? about what you've chosen then we'll listen to a, a track from the record and have a chat about it sure um so i chose empath uh it's a philly four piece um they have a new record out called visitor and uh they're often described as a no noise pop band which i think is not very accurate personally but maybe we can listen and you guys can tell me what you think um, and then I'll talk about it a little more and why I chose this record. Excellent. So the track we're going to hear is called Born 100 Times. Right, so yeah, that was Born 100 Times by Empath from their new album, Visitor. So Gabby, you were saying it's not really noise pop, is it? And I kind of agree. Yeah, for me, it's way more pop than it is noise. 
Um, I think maybe that nomenclature was chosen from their debut album. Um, but I, I feel like it's a it's more dream pop maybe um, and lo-fi more than anything. Um, but I, yeah, this is something that I associate, like the sound is something I associate a lot more with like Sarah Records maybe. Um, but so the reason I chose them though um, is, you know, you, you pitch this podcast idea to us as like, all right, so we're a bunch of kind of near 40 somethings <laughs> who um, love 90s music and maybe don't necessarily, uh, or you don't necessarily uh, listen to newer records. And how can we introduce you to newer stuff? Um, and I wanted to start with something that sounds a lot more like the stuff that we loved back then. And what brings me back to that sound is lo-fi, like first and foremost, honestly. And this record makes me feel like I'm 20 years old. Like that's all there is to it. It makes me feel like I'm at a basement show. It, I can feel the sticky beer under my Chuck Taylors. Like it's just, it just pulls me right back there. So it's, you know, this is going to sound like a dig about the band, but I promise it's not. So, but it really is going to sound like a dig. Like they don't sound necessarily that special. Like they sound like a lot of bands, a lot of lo-fi, a lot of college rock that we maybe listened to back then. Um, they don't, stand out too too much but for me that's very comforting in a way like it just brings me back to a time and place um and i don't know i just loved it i loved it um they sound a lot like no joy to me actually which i know actually isn't um an older band uh older than right now but i think they were putting stuff out in the early 2010s but that made me think of it. Um, but other than that, I don't know. It was more, it was less about their distinct uh, sound or something like special about them and more just how it evoked this feeling. And I, I wanted to kick us off with that, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think of all the, of all the picks, this was, this was the one that, yeah, see, I think it was the one that very much sounded like something that I would have, really devoured back back in the day when I was kind of keeping up keeping up to that um and it's kind of familiar without sounding like like a, a blatant ripoff it's it, it just sounds like that's that's what they that's what they've gone into the studio and come out with rather than sort of a contrived attempt to kind of make a 90s 90s record and I I liked it a lot I I think there's there's a nice range demonstrated o over the course of the album, and it, it does. It feels f instantly familiar and, and enjoyable. What, right. what what did uh, what did you think, Juan? Um, you know, it's interesting because Empath even themselves seem like they're not necessarily part of uh, a specific scene either, and uh, I'm I'm not as well acquainted with the Philadelphia music scene, except for some bands that don't even sound like them that have had a little bit more exposure. Like Spirit of the Beehive comes to mind, but I think something about Empath that 
somewhat distinguishes them is that they they seem to have a lot of different touch points. Like I I could see them like maybe morphing to this also indie rock meets fourth wave emo scene, but they don't really sound like that either. But they do kind of have they do sound like maybe a producer like Will Yip, who's really well known for producing a lot of these bands, would like Tiger's Jaw has a little bit of a resemblance too. And I could definitely see them working with a band like Empath, but it it seems like they're in their own island. And and I, I know Gabby also likes uh, uh, the Bats and, and they also are in their own kind of category where they're doing things that are very comforting and familiar, but they, they're not really following a specific scene. And and I kind of like that. I like the fact that this album kind of came, you know, spur of the moment out of nowhere. And I know they had an album prior to this one, but it, it was a nice and, and pleasant surprise, I think. You know what, Han? They, they do have, there's like some precedent in the Philly scene for stuff like this. I was thinking of like Cayetana and Hop Along, which are both Philly bands like in the spirit of this. And this isn't... Um, this isn't ripping them off in any way, but it's sort of like in the same vein. So it's not totally out of nowhere, I would say, but it's, yeah, it's still like, yeah, comforting, familiar for sure. Were you comforted, Joe? Well, I think uh, it's interesting that Gabby said that this is um, something that reminded her of music that she was into um, a while back, because I think this wasn't ever something that was really particularly on my radar. So this is kind of a little bit out of my wheelhouse. And um, Gabby and I have had arguments before about lo-fi music where I say, I don't get the point. Why can't they just produce it better? But that's, um, and, then I, and then I go off and listen to ABC or something like that. But there was a lot that I did like um, about this. Um, the Just the kind of the speed at which the ideas come um, is I really liked. Um, it reminded me of um, Deerhoof in a little way, and just that just, you can't settle on anything for a minute because something new is going to come along, normally within the same song. And um, the drums on this are incredible. Like, there's just so much going on. It sounds like there's about three drummers at, all at the same time. And I think, um, again, Gabby, you mentioned about seeing something like this live and the kind of the sticky floors and all that kind of thing. And I could imagine that I would enjoy this seeing this band live about 20 times more than I would actually kind of just sitting at home listening to the record because there's just so much energy behind it. It seems, it almost seems like a waste to just be, um, again, I realise we're doing a podcast, so people will be listening to this <laughs> while, while sitting, potentially listening to it. But I think it sounds like the sort of, to get the full hyperactive experience of it, I think you would need to um, go and see it live or see them live. And I think that almost tried to capture that a little bit in the, in the production at first i thought it had actually been almost badly mixed again this is my lack of my my lack of comfort with lo-fi music um but i think sort of having everything almost on the same level and maybe not quite so much dynamic range is actually capturing that live sound a bit more um there was there was plenty i didn't like about it i'll be honest but i think you know we're 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 um trying to you know bring you new music that you will enjoy Dave so I think I'll I'll leave my comments there I think it's a, yeah I think it's definitely a successful 
um, example of something something that I would enjoy. Um, I think the only thing that bothered me was the album cover. Really, I was just worried. I was worried about their energy bills with all those open doors and lights <laughs> on. It just, it just show. Like a... Do you know that actually? Actually, you might want to close your ears for this. But this record was the produced version of their sound like it's their <laughs> their first record compared to this was just like much fuzzier if you can believe that so this was yeah. very purposefully produced to sound like this it's cleaned up okay so uh, yeah you said that the the noise pop name might have come from their first their mm -hmm. first album and that's why they're called that but yeah i mean i don't want to just completely you know draw a line in the sand but noise pop as a term just sounds like an oxymoron to me <laughs> yeah well if they're on that trajectory towards pop maybe joe just needs to check in with them in a couple of albums time and and you know it'll be this pristine high fidelity right. pop yeah. music yeah i'm hoping that by album number six i'll sound like jamiroquai that's uh, that's the <laughs> ending so that's a good start so gabby's definitely a contender for the for the pick of the month so good work uh, so we're going to move on to we're going to move on to Juan next. Um, Juan, you picked a British band, which you know, kind of rubbing it in that I don't even know what's going on on my own doorstep. Um, you picked uh, an album by the Liverpool duo King Hannah. We're going to go straight into this, and we're going to listen to a track called "All Being Fine" from their debut album. So that was All Being Fine from King Hannah and their debut album, I'm Not Sorry, I Was Just Being Me. So tell me, Juan, what, what, made, you, what made you pick this, uh, this record? Yeah, absolutely. So King Hannah also was one of those projects that kind of came out of nowhere this year when I was scavenging through new records, as I usually do. And David alluded to just trying to find some new music, uh, usually. And... Um, so yeah, it's a duo. Um, they're from Liverpool. Uh, his name is Craig Whittle and Hannah Merrick. She's Welsh, I believe. And they both have an interesting story because they they had met at a they met at this bar, and I guess they had some sort of connection in terms of musical influences and the things that they liked. And then it, it and then they didn't necessarily make music together until two years later. And what happened was they actually worked together at that same bar where they had met. So it was this some sort of serendipitous calling in terms of uh, just they had to form this project together. And I don't know, I guess in, in the words of Eddie Argus, uh, they just formed the band from there, right? So it was uh, so in terms of in terms of what drew me to the music it's um obviously it's it's funny because i'm not 
I'm never into music that's considered bluesy or blues soaked in a way. And, and even, and I know that the Nick Cave influence has been thrown around for them a lot, which is understandable if you're looking at it from a surface level. But at the same time, if anything, it reminds me a little bit more of his side project, Grinderman, more than actual Nick Cave uh, in parts. But actually what drew me in more than anything else was that it, it also reminded me a little bit of that late 90s trip hop, trip hop scene. For some reason, I thought of Mono when I was listening to King Hannah and maybe it was her vocals because I, I like that band a lot too because in terms of the vocals too. And, and there's also a lot of humor behind the music, which may sound very downtrodden and, and even melancholic, which should, the sad bastard in me uh, is always drawn into. But to me... To me, I like that, you know, there's a reference in one track where they're talking about an ex, uh, an ex getting choked by a dumpling, which I thought was very amusing and, and just little tidbits like that. Uh, uh, but I think in many other ways, they're the quintessential Bella Union band, which they're a, a label from, from the UK as well. Like you can see all the touch, touch points there. And even the 33, one of the Warren Ellis uh, uh, band and you know they're they're also from that label too so it does have that quintessential like very brainy and lyrical but at the same time uh, very uh, mystifying in a way so I think that's really what I liked about it and it's an album that I'm still going listening to and trying to dig many layers because it's not the kind of album they can just absorb completely from listening to once so yeah what did you think of this one Joe? Um, it's interesting that Juan said just then about um, needing to go back and listen to it because when I first heard this, I it kind of just washed over me. I wasn't really sure of it. And the more I've listened to, I've liked it more with each passing listen. Definitely understand the kind of trip hop um, thing in there. And yeah, it's quite unusual to sort of put that with a more bluesy thing. Um, it, what I really liked, um, the... Um, Hannah, I've forgotten her surname, but um, her vocals really, really work well with this. It really kind of creates a sort of noir-y kind of mood. I can imagine this being on sort of film and TV soundtracks. And it really reminded me of, um, I, thought, I don't know if they're still going, but um, there was a side project from The Horrors um, called Cat's Eyes Cat's a few Eyes, years ago. Yeah. And they, yeah, and they did, um, in fact, I think they actually went into film soundtracks but their their debut album was this kind of very um, it was kind of like a heavier version of this I guess but it had the sort of very light female vocals on top of yeah like a very kind of swirling noiry thing which I enjoyed um, it reminded me of the Kills a little bit as well um, or mm -hmm. early early Kills and and you mentioned about the the humor and again that is something that you I think you don't necessarily get on the first listen unless you're really paying attention to the lyrics because it's all very deadpan. Um, it isn't the kind of music you'd expect there to kind of be jokes in. Although I did notice from the first listen, it just um, one of the one of the tracks in the middle of the album is just called "Death of the House Phone," which I quite enjoyed. I thought that straight away that's showing you that there's um, something a bit more um, going on. You mentioned Nick Cave as well. I think the other comparison that comes out as well is um, is PJ Harvey. Um, which is, it, it's certain sort of like it kind of a-ha-ha uh -huh -huh PJ Harvey rather than sort of very early PJ Harvey. I think 
which is something I really liked. The other band that came to mind for me, and I, I, I'm going to struggle to articulate why. Um, and it's interesting that it's another band from Liverpool, but I didn't realise that King Hannah were from Liverpool when I when I wrote this down. But um, some very early stuff from the Zootons <laughs> reminded me of you take out the fact they um, you know started writing songs like Valerie and they had a saxophone player. Some of their very early stuff um, was quite sort of sparse and minimal and had just these kind of quite sort of almost spooky guitar lines running through. Um, but so I don't know. And then I started trying to make links to other Liverpool bands like the Coral and then it just didn't work. So it's not it's not a scene thing at all. It's just a complete coincidence. But um, no, I yeah, I really enjoyed this. So yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing it to my attention. I mean, I don't have a single original thought in my head. I immediately when listening to this, I was like, it's trip hop, it's PJ Harvey, it's Portishead, it sounds like a David Lynch soundtrack. It's just, it's fucking amazing. I I liked it from the second I started listening to it. And honestly, Juan, like, thank you so much for this record because I've had it on a loop since you sent it over. It's it's amazing. I love this album. So that's kind of all I have to add. Yeah. It's well, I'm it's glad because perfect because you know Juan and Joe also kind of said everything I had written down as well. So, <laughs> so, um, so you might have left me a few scraps, but I, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with with what everyone said. Really, I, I had all the same touchstones written down: Portishead, Nick Cave, PJ Harvey. It's you know I think it, that much is fairly fairly clear. But what really struck me was how how sort of fully realized this this sound was and how it was kind of you know minimalist but not not bare it, it felt really like this this is a band that have kind of really got a, a really clear idea of what they are trying to do and they've executed it perfectly and it, it got me thinking about um being a new band in this over the last couple of years where you won't have been able to go out and play live a lot. I mean, you know, prior prior to COVID, King Hannah would have been touring around and knocking these songs into shape, but also thinking about how can we as a two-piece perform them live. And I think what we get on the record is, is probably going to be difficult to perform live as a, as a two-piece. But I think we get something different because of the, the sort of the the environment with which the band has developed really and i i just think it's a really it's a really mature and self-assured album and and it it really really hit the spot and again i got it from that first from that first beat it's just got this swagger to it that just sort of pulled me in and i was i was nodding along instantly really so yeah very much right up my street as well Juan. so good work um you're welcome, everyone. Thank you. Yeah, good pick. So um, we're going to move on to Joe now. Joe, you've picked something slightly different, um, which is why we've invited you on the podcast, really, because we knew that was going to happen. Um, you picked uh, a track from the uh, Australian band, Confidence Man, and this one is called Feels Like a Different Thing.
so that was feels like a, a different thing by confidence man and that is from their uh, album that is out now and uh what's the album called joe the album is called tilt tilt fantastic so tell us why you picked this well, I think I first owe everyone an apology because I think I misunderstood the assignment of this podcast. And uh, originally the idea may have been to actually pick some music that you, Dave, would like because of what you used to listen to a few years ago, rather than I've just picked something that sounded like it was from the 90s that I enjoy. Um, <laughs> no, Confidence Man um, are um, the greatest band in the world. They are from Brisbane. And they've been going for about five years, I think. Um, and this is their second album. Their first album was called Competent Music for Competent People. And actually had like a little bit more of a kind of a bit more indie, a bit more guitars. There was almost some sort of um, a little bit of, sort of psychedelia in there as well. But for this album, they have gone full on 90s dance, basically. I think reading interviews with them, it sounds like... Um, during lockdown, they all went a bit crazy, moved into one house together, like like they're the monkeys or something, and um, set up a a rave cave in their back garden, which they called the fuck bunker, and used to just hold raves in there and annoy their neighbours. Um, what I like about them is is everything. They um, I'm a fan of the fact that they have stage names. Um, there's basically there's four of them the two the two who make the music you basically never see and the two front people are called sugar bones and janet planet and they are vocalists and dancers um just going to um sort of clang drop a name that i i interviewed them a few weeks ago for a publication and they basically said that they um, don't have other dancers on stage with them because they're such narcissists it would take the attention away from them the two front people and I can I can relate to that as something I feel very strongly that I can I can um, yeah relate to but I think yeah they they've they've said that this album is very much inspired by 90s dance music they listened to it a lot over the last few years and um, I know Dave you've made a joke that they sound a bit like Dr Auburn but I can I can see that. Um, I know um, Gabby has mentioned that they sound like delight as well. And I think it is just, um, it's just fun, Not early 90s dance pop music. It's, yeah, it's good for dancing too. It's funny. It's, it's sexy. They're horny as hell, quite clearly. Um, and yeah, and I'm going to see them in a few months and I'm very excited about it. And that's all I have to say about that. I, I find it before we started recording, you were telling us about your aversion to the phrase man cave. Um, I find it I find it amusing that you're quite fine with, with a fuck bunker. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's the standard phrase, that's what they're called. Is that... <laughs> yeah. They're not the same thing. They're not the same clearly. thing. Okay. Okay. No. Yeah. So I'm just taking it back to things you used to listen to. I always think that the first records I really liked as a kid were things like the the Spice Girls and things that came out when I was around um, nine or ten years old but then if I really think about it the first records I ever owned were actually like early 90s dance music compilations on cassette um, and listening to lots of things like um, The Prodigy and like It's Not Over Yet by Grace and yeah this this kind of thing is actually the first sort of music I used yeah. to listen to when I was 
didn't it was too small to know what was going on basically yeah and i've started doing i've started watching um a lot of old episodes of top of the pops from the 1990s on youtube and you kind of forget just how prevalent this kind of thing actually mm. was at the time you sort of think that the 90s in the uk at least it was all it was all brit pop and kind of the manufactured pop music mm. but i think post hacienda post acid house like dance music was just everywhere throughout the whole of the 90s and it does tend to go overlooked a little bit that's my recollection this reminds me uh you know that obviously this reminds me of the music that was playing on the on the the bus radio when we were going on school trips in primary school and things like that you know they they, that that music before Britpop came along dominated commercial radio really um and that's what was in the charts and that's what you kind of heard and you know it wasn't what I carried on listening to into my teens, but it, it's obviously left a left some sort of imprint. Um, so yeah, but this is probably not not something you grew up listening to, Juan. Is is it something? Is it something that brought back memories for you? It definitely did, but for very different reasons. Um, I was really thinking, and yeah, definitely the the early nineties Euro pop influences are there, but it really reminded me when. Um, Again, when I was a, a a really small kid, I was maybe you know when that this music was a big thing, like in '92, '93, and uh, all these artists like Snap and Two Unlimited were, you know, such a big deal, right? And I remember like when I was a kid, I I would I would abhor this music so much, and and we were going back to uh, going back to past sounds and then getting older and acclimating yourself to it with time and really actually really liking it but I guess I just had that bitter taste in my mouth because when I was uh, a kid we had this Puerto Rican uh, Puerto Rican so we were uh, we had this radio station they would build themselves the American radio station quote unquote which was code for which, which this music wasn't even American so I think the the implication was oh, you know, colonial American, uh, we want to be part of you, right? That was like, but it was like this thing where it was like either play Nirvana and then radio break and then they would play Hathaway, you know? It was, it was, and, and I don't know, my my way of thinking back then, or I guess my sensibilities where I like the grunge stuff and then I wasn't really too into this stuff. And, and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm playing rhythm as a dancer again, right? So... But now I kind of dig it. And to be honest, um, and 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 I like that confidence men don't really sound like a facsimile of that. They're really take, they really sound like things that I can't really explain and other sources that don't really take from that. They they really are trying to modernize it too. And I think mm. that's what I really, really enjoy about them. And I, I really want to dig myself. And I would never have guess that they were from from Brisbane either I had no idea so that that's new to me <laughs> Gabby did you enjoy it oh yeah I mean this is this is totally my thing like yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> if I had kind of been thinking more broadly about this whole homework assignment <laughs> then maybe I would have done something more poppy but um, I think it's no secret how much I love pop music but anyway um, the first time I heard the entire record, the first thing that came to mind was all of the MTV Party to Go compilations, which Juan will know about. I don't know if uh, Dave and Joe will, but they 
reigned <laughs> supreme in the U.S. in the early to mm-hmm. mid, maybe even late 90s, maybe into the 2000s. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I had Party to Go Volume 6, which I do, I do not remember. I think that came out in 1995. They were like, okay, so they were um, like very... Um, they were the kinds. They were the music compilations that we'd see commercials for on TV, and you would like order them on the phone, um, which I'm sure happened in other countries. Yeah. But um, no, certainly you didn't have to order them on the phone. You could definitely go to your local, you know, Tower Music or whatever and pick it up. But uh, yeah, all I remember from mine is that it had 100% Pure Love by Crystal Waters on it, and I was super into that track. <laughs> um, it had some other bangers, though. But this totally reminded me of it, and it was extremely nostalgic and awesome. And it's just, but it's, like, smarter. Like, the lyrics are very funny, um, but not in a, um, like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just smarter. It's not like a like cringy mm. kind of ridiculous way. So I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. I think we enjoyed that, Joe. Are you surprised? <laughs> uh, uh, you haven't um, come back with your feedback yet. That's what I'm really... Oh, I said um, it was good. Yeah. Do- Dr. Alpen. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was good, Joe. Good. It was good. They, they, put, they, put, they put it on the poster. David Coleman, a record. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, it was like I said, it was fun. It was a, it was a, a jolt to the system. It was something, it was something different. And and like Gabby said, it was, it it was, it was all those old sounds, but filtered through something more modern and and you know just a bit more knowing and a bit more playful and and you know definitely get that that vibe of of kind of you know it's it's a bit hedonistic it's a bit sensational it, it i imagine live it's going to be a, a completely different experience as well it's just really maximal and exciting really so yeah i i did enjoy it we're going to move on to my pick now uh and you'll be pleased to know it's it's more of the same really joe very much in a similar vein to that um i'm excited yeah so the record i've picked um is called Disillusion Wave, and it's by uh, a band from Indiana called Cloakroom. Uh, we're going to listen to a track called Lost Meaning. So that was Lost Meaning from uh, Cloakroom's recent album, Dissolution Wave. Um, yeah, I stumbled upon this uh, record when I was lying on the floor with a herniated disc in my back at the beginning of the year. And um, it, it just um, it seemed to suit the situation rather well, really. I, I, I couldn't do much. Um, and... I had a lot of time to kill, so I was looking for music that engaged me and and that I could 
just lose myself in and and this was a record that really really connected and seemed to hit the hit the spot it's it's one of those interesting albums that is quite difficult to pin down whilst also sounding really familiar so there's stoner rock elements there's shoegaz there's doom metal there's all sorts of heaviness um but also melody and um everything that I like about that kind of music coming together um, with a, with an amazing concept as well. It's this um, space Western concept about um, a, a sort of physical event that wipes all the art off the face of the earth. And, and the, the band is just one of the artists who are trying to keep the world spinning by, by making music. It's absolutely insane, but really, really cool as well. Um, <laughs> and and totally you know unnecessary because the music's just amazing without that concept but i think that just elevates it to another level so this kind of gave me it kind of reminded me of bands like caius um swerve driver at uh, the more sort of melodic rock elements and and particularly the the record that it really brought to mind was uh, a record called conqueror by jesu um which i think i reviewed for no record about 15 years ago or something um and that was another album of this kind of ilk you know heavy but melodic and and just really 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 cool so yeah a little bit different um to 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 uh, some of the other picks but what what did you guys think who who would like to go first go on gabby i do um so this was maybe the most nostalgic all of our picks for me it took me right back to middle school and like smashing pumpkins and alice in chains on the radio which i i just adored um i thought that the yeah just the heaviness the melody the concept too which by the way i think appeals to our generation for some reason like the space western is like constantly in all of our media firefly cowboy bebop no not cowboy bebop or wait that too trigun um like we um we love that for some reason so it just spoke to me a lot and I, this is another one I couldn't stop listening to. So the more we talk about all of our picks, the more I re- realize that mine is the least favorite of all of it. Um, and this one and King Hannah actually win for me, not that you're grading based on my votes, but this one was, I think the most nostalgic for me yeah. of, of everyone's choices. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I know I know you're a big um, Smashing Pumpkins fan, Juan. Did it kind of evoke that band for you, or was it sort of different, different touchstones? It it did it did in in some ways, although in a slightly well, I love this album. I mean, I've I've spoken to you uh, about it, David, but I do have this nitpick with a lot of these bands that are coming out, and you're bringing the side the Pumpkins equation, and I just feel like now so many bands are trying to, for years now, have been trying to replicate that pedal-heavy Siamese dream kind of sound. And um, and even though I like it a lot, I'm kind of waiting for that album to for that band to actually branch out and finally do like their melancholy maybe or try to 
uh, in the infinite sadness or try to do something that branches a little bit outside of just that fuzz, really fuzzy, heavy kind of uh, thing. But I think that's what Cloakroom wants to do. I think they're, they're really trying to stay in that doom metal kind of like stonerish kind of realm. And I think that's where they, they excel at. Although some tracks on this album kind of are, it sounds like they're trying to step away from that, which I think uh, are the ones that I like the most, uh, not coincidentally. So um, yeah, no, this is a this is a great one uh, as well. Um, I'm just, you know, there's just that other side of me that would want that band to finally not necessarily sound like Alice in Chains or Green, Green Reaver or something and actually do something more <laughs> widescreen just let's try to experiment a little bit more yeah maybe it may be a collaboration with confidence man perhaps <laughs> that's what joe's hoping for. give the people what they want yeah give the people what they want so nothing nothing really nothing makes me think of you more than than do metal joe what did you what did you mm. what your take on this yeah that, that, that's my middle name um Actually, this was the biggest surprise of of the lot of them for me because um, I I really enjoyed this when the when the first kind of notes hit and it's just this sort of crunch of guitars and it's like this very very slow pace and they um, I've seen lots of things about them being a doom gaze band and I've sort of read up before listening to it and within about ten seconds I just thought this is going to be this is going to be hard work this is going to be a, a a slog basically. But um, there's just some really strong melodies that really shine through all of it. It's um, and as the album progresses, it actually gets less heavy. So I've, I mean, I've written down Smashing Pumpkins as well, but by the end, I was sort of thinking stuff like War Paint as well, where there's um, lots of really good melodies, kind of sort of buried, but do still come to the surface as well. Um, and then towards the end, I was sort of going, well, this is quite sort of meditative. Like if you can just kind of really sink into it. The, especially the less heavy elements of it, there's that it really you do just kind of really get lost in it, mm. which I guess is probably what you want from a, a concept album. And I've I've been I'm looking at my notes now, and I'm just thinking, can I claim this is actually chill wave? It's it's very sort of. I mean, you said you you um, were injured and had a bad back and could barely move when you're listening to it, and I kind of I kind of feel that's quite a good uh, time to be listening to it because it's almost like sort of flotation tank just let it sort of drift over you but it's 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 really it it's really nice i think and the fact that so much of the writing about it did sort of lean heavily and saying they are stone or rock doom doom metal that kind of thing i think that's doing them a bit of a disservice to kind of restrict them to just that because there's a lot more going on besides i think what um, you've all sort of touched on which is potentially possible and what Juan said as well they are the the band potentially who can actually go from making their Siamese dream to making their melancholy mm. infinite sadness like if if, if anyone's going to do it it's it's the guys who are making um, concept albums about you know being an asteroid miner that yeah. type of thing which is what I think the, the point of view the vocalist takes in yeah. some of the tracks interesting though because the the tracks that are more contemplative kind of got a little boring for me comparatively like it is lost meaning and it's ilk that were the most interesting for me but maybe that's because um without listening 
many more times it's the stuff that immediately reels me in that I mean this is true for anybody that grabs my attention right away and that's going to be the stuff that I'm that's resonating with me more that's more nostalgic for me it's funny isn't it because like doom metal you know stone and rock all these things they're not really genres that scream crossover potential but like like joe said i think that the the band has the tools to to kind of do do all sorts of things really and they may just choose to kind of stay in stay in this lane and make really interesting music as well i think they probably will um but i think they could do whatever they put their mind to there's there's real creativity and and real um you know a real depth of skills on display here i really enjoyed it so yeah so that brings us brings us to the end of all the picks um yeah we're going to um talk about who who made the best pick uh, shortly um but before we Dave, do... are you in the running sorry are you in the running is this cloakroom i mean pick? like yeah. i think <laughs> every, every single episode yeah, yeah like I, i've done the scoring and i've won yeah. it's yeah. absolutely fair it's I, it's it's embarrassing that it keeps happening yeah um no i don't think i should be in the running really um because i i would um i would obviously award it to myself every time so i think it's only fair that i don't do that um so I think everyone really brought something different to the table and it was really fun listening to everything and also sort of seeing the different ways that everyone had interpreted the idea of the podcast with it being the first one and you know Gabby bringing something sort of like quite 90s and quite sort of literally something that I would have listened to then um Joe trying to trying to give me something completely different uh, and Juan somewhere in the middle really so in a way I kind of feel like I should I'm torn do I score what I like the most or do I score based on the boldness because um, if it was rewarding the boldness I would be giving Joe the pick but I kind of said that I wouldn't let Joe win at the beginning so I'm going to settle on Juan, I think. I think that the record that I can see myself coming back to the most is is the King Hannah album. Um, But it was close, and um, I I really will be enjoying all three of those records, and obviously the Cloakroom one going forward. Okay, so... This is both a a huge honour, but also hugely embarrassing, because now it, it seems like... It seems like I'm be- I'm automatically the villain now for episode two, right? It's oh, like, t- you uh, were the villain straight straight from the off. That's really. that's yeah. accurate. Yeah. 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 No one's rooting on for back. you ever. Yeah. <laughs> your plucky underdog status is gone. <laughs> no, you're you're not the villain, and of course, um, you know me quite well. We talk quite a lot about new music, so I think you've got a, a bit of an inside track and a bit of a a bit of a you know. A bit of an advantage there but um no i mean i think everyone's a winner really today but one is the actual winner the actual winner <laughs> <laughs> no, i think that's very well deserved i think that would have been my favorite pick as well well that wraps up the very first episode of quarantine the past we'll be back with a new one shortly but in the meantime you can keep up to date over at noripcord.com on behalf of the whole team Thanks for listening.